0: Okay, welcome back. This is episode six of The Bridge Broadcast. I'm David Higby, and I have a great friend here with us. This is Rocky from Austin, Texas, and New Horizons Lacrosse. How's it going, Rocky?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing very well. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for jumping on on a Saturday afternoon. We have a little bit more time on our hands lately, so this was a good opportunity to catch up and a good weekend to do so. Let's start with... We're in a pandemic, we're under quarantine, how are you doing?
1: I'm okay, um, I'm very privileged and I'm recognizing that privilege deeply right now. Grateful to have a roof and food to eat and a job for now. <laughs> so doing okay, getting a little a little antsy to get outside and just do my normal schedule, normal things. But yeah, okay all things considered. Good. Yeah, <laughs> how about you?
0: The same, you know, I definitely have been very fortunate to have, still have a job and still have that security access to the things that, you know, I need to get by my, and my wife to get by. So yeah, certainly very, like you said, pr- very privileged and certainly learning about how this is affecting families that we know and people and, and people in our network that we know that are, maybe don't have those sort of, uh, that sort of same access. So it's been good to recognize that we have, yeah, certain certain privileges and certain access to things that others don't. So this Outbreak and pandemic have certainly spotlighted a lot of the gaps that we talk about. This yeah. has certainly been very eye-opening and just how large of a gap it really is. Mm-hmm. Are you starting to see some of those highlighted gaps in New Horizons and in Austin, just in general?
1: I it doesn't feel like that different to me in terms of my what I can see and what I perceive to be the case. I think people, I think the rest of the community is finally seeing a lot of the inequities that I think you and I probably see cl- more closely, being on the ground and being in these communities day to day. So it's it's really interesting to see that. So I feel like a lot of people who are being really emotionally impacted by this, but not tangibly impacted, if if you if you will, right. um, I think it's because they're they're dealing with this like emotional burden for the first time, and I feel like we deal with that day to day. So that doesn't feel different, but it's it's very interesting to see how people are like sort of like growing this communal consciousness over like, hey, like, this is like a real issue. We need to like go help the food bank out because there's like 2000 cars lined up today. So there's, yeah, I think, I think that hopefully will lead to something good permanently that comes out of this.
0: Absolutely. We, and we've talked a lot about just within the, with our coaches and, you know, just people that we're still in contact with, of you know, after this all ends, like we now have a maybe greater awareness of those challenges that people face day to day. And maybe we're a little bit more aware of how to solve those problems down the line. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully that's the you know, those are the lessons learned from this and we have just a better understanding of those individual challenges people have and families have.
1: For sure. I hope so too.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's fun to catch up with you because you were actually you and David Hamill were the last two people I saw before we were quarantine. Okay. We
1: yeah. Were the so I
0: <laughs> You were the last people I've interacted with face to face before we went under lockdown. I was in Austin the Thursday before Dallas ISD spring break. So we don't have practices or games that Friday or that weekend because it was spring break and then everything went into lockdown pretty much Sunday, Monday. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my last human interaction was you guys. So yeah, it's, it's, wow, (laughs) (laughs) and it it feels so long ago that I was down there, just so many things have happened obviously since then. But, uh, yeah, I I was thinking about that earlier today. I was like, I think, I think they're the last two people I saw and hung out with (laughs) before all of this, (laughs) give us a little bit more kind of backstory of yourself. Sure. And then maybe kind of roll that into your connection with New Horizons and getting connected with David. And then we can kind of expand into NHL, which, by the way, I've realized you guys have taken on that acronym lately, which is cool.
1: Yeah, so maybe we, little, you
0: can kind of expand into NHL.
1: Yeah, it's a little confusing just because there is isn't an NHL already, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll workshop it a little bit in the future. But yeah, so I am not from Texas. I'm from the East Coast originally. I grew up in Connecticut, where lacrosse is very big and grew up playing, grew up in this, like, pretty normal middle middle class suburb of Connecticut and did my thing, did school, was like, was really into school as a kid. I ended up going to Columbia, New York City for college. And I, of all the sports that I played growing up, I played soccer, basketball, volleyball, lacrosse is definitely the, the one sport that I just felt the closest connection to, even though it wasn't the sport that I played the longest. So when I got there, I realized like, hey, Columbia is in the middle of New York city. There's no greenery anywhere around here. I'm <laughs> ne- almost never outside other than like walking from class to class and doing all the walking that you do in living in New York city. I want to be more active. I want to be active in a different way. So I sought out the lacrosse team at Columbia, um, reached out to the coach and basically walked on as a goalie and ended up doing some managing and videoing for them as well when I was there. So I was on the team for a couple of years realized that being a D1 athlete is a ton of time. Um, I was not anticipating spending on lacrosse. It was a full-time job. So towards my soft, end of sophomore year, junior year, left the team, did other stuff on campus, was really involved with extracurriculars, and then ended up graduating and realizing I didn't know what to do with my life, as many <laughs> undergrads can probably relate to, and decided I wanted to go teach. So I moved to Chicago for a teaching program and ended up teaching around there for about a year. Realized I was over the cold weather, (laughs) um, needed a change of scenery. So I just bought a one-way ticket and moved down to Austin. So when I was down in Austin, I I taught here for around, I taught down here for about four to five years. And I think it was, yeah, it was almost exactly a year ago. I was on um, the website for this Central Texas Day of Giving, I know you guys have one up there as well. Um, the one down here is called Amplify Austin. So every February and March, there's an annual 24 hour period where, where nonprofit organizations in town come together to raise money for themselves, always raises like $10 million or more. So I, I always like to peruse the nonprofits that are on there. Right. I, ever since leaving teaching, I've entered the nonprofit scene. So it's it's a fun thing to do as a nonprofit development person. So I was looking through the nonprofits and saw one that had lacrosse in the title, and I was shocked because I had not experienced <laughs> anything lacrosse-related down here in Austin whatsoever. Clicked on it, went to their website, and realized not only were they lacrosse-focused, but they were focused focusing lacrosse on communities of color and low-income communities, which are the communities that I come from. So mm-hmm. seemed perfect. Reached out to David immediately, and I was coaching within a couple weeks. Coached a team of three to fifth graders over at Overton Elementary, which is one of the public elementary schools down here in Austin and told David basically like, I wanted to do more. So he gave me more to do and I became the director of fundraising and communication.
0: (laughs) That's funny. And I think that's how most people get connected to organizations like ours, right? It's just a Google search or just kind of this random happenstance. For those, for those of you who are listening, we've mentioned his name a couple of times, but David Hamill is the founding director, the founder of New Horizons. And I got connected with David years ago. I'd heard, I'd sort of again, kind of randomly stumbled upon the website or the organization, reached out. And we actually didn't formally get connected until just last year when we had some of his kids come up to our summer academy. And so I've always known about New Horizons in Austin, but the the connective tissue wasn't really being built until a little less than a year ago, about maybe this time a year ago. So David is a great guy. He has kind of passed the baton to to Rocky in terms of this podcast. (laughs) I reached out to him and he was like, maybe have Rocky do it. I think she'd be better fit. Let's talk about just the organization as a whole, right? And sort of the, the day-to-day operations or the programming of New Horizons. What was the current programming calendar like for New Horizons?
1: Sure. So we were really, we're, we're definitely a few years behind Bridge in terms of development of programming. So we were simply focused on really building up cross portion of our program this year. We had two teams over at Martin Middle School, Title I Middle School here in Austin. We had about 30 I'd say 25 to 30 kids total between the two teams. And we were holding practices twice a week. We, were, we had multiple games on the schedule. Um, we were trying to organize some girls scrimmages uh, and also some community play days towards the end of the season, which obviously will not be happening now. But we were really just trying to solidify our team and then our strategy moving forward in terms of how we were gonna increase access for all kids on the east side of Austin versus just a small little portion.
0: Yeah, and so when I was down in Austin, we had talked a little bit about where we've talked in the past about that move from sort of school-based to community-based.
1: Yeah.
0: What are some things you guys are planning for in terms of making that transition?
1: So I think the two biggest things are the relationships and the resources, right? So David obviously is the founder and executive director of New Horizons, and he has been in this one middle school that we're that we practice at, Martin Middle School for probably at least the past five years in terms of building relationships on the ground. The principal knows his work. The He knows the PE coaches. The teachers know of him. Front staff, front office staff know of him. So there's just been a lot of foundation laid in terms of helping them see the value of lacrosse programming and adding another sport that isn't run internally by the school. So that is definitely a concern is if, if we move away from a school-based model, are other schools going to as easily understand the value that New Horizons brings? Are we gonna have that same depth, depth of relationships that helps us recruit students or helps us get school resources or funding when we need to? And that brings me to my second point is just the resources part. So um, Martin is right on Ladybird Lake, Town Lake, very nice fields in the back, has Austin awesome Parks and Rec fields in the back that we sometimes play on based on a reciprocal relationship. They provide us with buses, they provide our students with snacks, they provide us with the PE coaches that then become the trainers for our games. So there's a lot of resources that the district provides through the school that we are could conceivably lose if we mm-hmm. move to a community-based model. But I think what we've decided on as a team or as a leadership team is that the pros to having more kids and having a critical mass of kids play outweigh the cons for the short term at least.
0: Right. When we made that move to community based yeah we had a lot of those concerns about the relationships and kind of starting over in a lot of ways. We weren't necessarily getting some of the same resources that you all were and so a lot of that for us wasn't necessarily in question but the relationships is a a big part of it. You know we had we'd been in a lot of the schools we were at we were three major schools for almost a decade and some of them more than a decade in in one or two of them and so yeah it's definitely tough to make that transition and making sure you do it in a way that's respectful and it doesn't look like hey we're just gonna like we're out of here and especially when you're getting significant resources to maintain that programming one of the things that's been big for us is culture and we really emphasize culture in making that move to community base what are some challenges for you guys in moving the culture away from martin middle school to new horizons Across?
1: yeah so in terms of the kids that are on the team right now that's all they know right so they aren't students that participate in any sort of community-based teams right now. If if we have a couple, they are participating on travel teams or higher level teams for other sports. So I think being able to separate like, hey, this is not just your team now. Like there's going to be other kids from other schools on this team. We have to be more inclusive and build those relationships internally as a team is going to be a shift. Branding wise, we've always just been Martin Lacrosse. So Mm -hmm. that's going to be a shift as well. And then honestly, we're, we're still building out the culture, um, the external facing culture for students and, and through the programming. So I think this is actually a good time to, to make the shift to community-based. We, in, in this past year, we've like grown our leadership team quite a bit. And with that has come more refinement of what practices look like and how to make that, that consistent of an experience for students. We always start and end with the closing circle really making sure that we de- we're developing those parent relationships and that parents understand that even though we're not based necessarily just at their school anymore that we still very much want them to come with us
0: right absolutely yeah we were actually cons- pretty concerned that we would lose kids in yeah. that process and that yeah. there would be a little bit of a, of a drop off and we would yeah. have to kind of rebuild rebuild or rebuild but you know the, the feedback we got and, and hopefully that you all will get some you guys will get will you know it will strengthen people's commitment to the organization we definitely struggled in the idea of making that move and you know maybe upsetting kind of the those relationships but it actually turned out to work in our favor in a lot of ways in terms of the goal meeting the goals that we wanted and making that move so yeah it it can be it's certainly stressful and it's certainly it it comes with some unknowns but for us in the in the long term and even you know some of the short-term stuff we we talked about it worked out very well yeah Um, let's talk about branding of going to community-based you know what are some things internally that you all want to get done strategically want to get done
1: for sure so for going to community-based i think our number one priority is just making sure that we are keeping our current kids and families in mind as much as possible we i think and i think we talked about this when you were here last time we don't want to lose we we, we want to avoid losing kids if we can so mm-hmm. if it, it's coming down to a transportation issue like we find a new field that's not affiliated with martin where like we're going to hold practices but a couple kids can't get there. We're going to try to figure out some sort of stopgap to help them still participate. The best way to do that I think for us right now is, go- is going to be to try to engage Martin as a partner in this move and see if we can still use a lot of their support but just change the branding. Um, right. Which shouldn't really be an issue if we're still majority kids for Martin but that's a conversation that hasn't been had yet, so that needs to be had. But regardless of whether we stay where we are physically or we move to a different space in town, having kids be able to get there easily. Second thing would be just like proximity to other schools that we want to engage. So we, our bread and butter is our middle school teams. Um, We haven't really sustainably expanded to elementary school or high school yet, although we would like to in the future. So engaging the other title one middle schools on the east side and like trying to find a place that's geographically in between them would be really helpful what else community-based I mean you would know better than we would really in terms of the things that I'm not thinking of but I feel like and space
0: are the biggest, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because we have such different challenges, and I think that was one thing that was really spotlighted when I came down to visit was some of the things you guys deal with are significantly more challenging than things we we deal with, and and I think that's the that's the whole for all urban-based lacrosse nonprofits, right? right? The makeup of any city
1: mm-hmm.
0: presents different challenges for nonprofits like us, and so Austin, I think you all definitely have a transportation issue. There's a proximity issue. Yep. We don't have that issue necessarily because of the demographic we're pulling in has some access to transportation Sure. and not in every aspect, but it's not, it's not something that we have, we're able to provide. But for you all, transportation seems to be one of the larger challenges or, or proximity seems to be one of the larger challenges.
1: Yeah. There's, there's isn't good public transportation here. So and right. e- the East side, when we say the East side of Austin, we really just mean East of 35, which is a very large area in the poverty and the low income phenomena um, phenomena that like affect the east side range from very north Austin to very south Austin. So we we need to be a little bit more specific in terms of okay, we, we meet we say East Austin, but we mean between like the lake and two ninety or something like that. So right. we need to hone that down some more before we officially make that move.
0: Yeah. And so in addition to transportation and proximity, what are some other challenges that your kids at Martin face? You know, we see, we have such a wide diversity and spectrum of mm-hmm. socioeconomic backgrounds that it's hard, sometimes it's hard to kind of pinpoint some of the exact needs of, of certain families or certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Uh, for you, while being a little bit more hyper-focused in the school or neighborhood, what are some of the unique challenges at Martin?
1: So Martin specifically is a school within AISD that's, I would say, struggling academically. So there's a lot of changes and turnover that happens within the school, both mm-hmm. with with staff and teachers, but also with kids. So we've had multiple kids, even this year, who started off on the team with us and then moved away, or who like joined the team, the la- that last practice before spring break that you were at, they- that was their first practice, they came right. up, but now who knows if they'll still be here three months from now when it's sober. It's a very transitional community. The reasons being uh, those community members are being pushed out due to the gentrification that's happening on the East side, especially around Martin, um, Mm -hmm. building a giant complex right across the street. So that's definitely one barrier that we have or one thing that we have to consider. Second thing is our kids are, they are very clearly food insecure, uh, financially insecure. We've started incorporating like nutrition and food and snacks and stuff into our programming just because we, we don't want kids that to be a barrier for kids participating and we it's very apparent that like some kids will like take entire backpacks full of snacks or like will right one extra lapse just so they can get an extra bag of fruit snacks
0: yeah um,
1: and that's not normal behavior i'm sure in terms of a healthy prospering community so that's something that we have to keep in mind too and that obviously just comes down to funding restrictions like how much money can we raise for things that aren't our bread and butter, which is like lacrosse equipment and field fees and things like that. And then the the third would just be, I guess, like the language cultural barriers. So we have a pretty diverse team in the sense that it's not homogenous. Um, we have a large Latinx population student-wise, but we also have a decent number for Austin, at least, of Black students and a, a couple white students as well. But with, with the Latinx families, there is some of them are undocumented, some of them ha- don't speak any English. So when we mm-hmm. make phone calls to parents, it's either I speak Spanish, thankfully, but if we don't have enough people who speak Spanish at the leadership level to, to really make those calls and build those relationships beyond a transactional, like, hey, drop your kid off at this time, at this place type of, yeah. type of communication which then obviously hurts our long-term sustainability and longevity in terms of really being able to keep those parents engaged in a more meaningful way and understanding their needs in a more meaningful way. So this is just some of the things that we're dealing with, but I know you guys have different issues.
0: Our biggest challenge really is that Dallas County is just really poverty is, is the biggest issue. Violence and teen re- pregnancy, gang-related activities, those are obviously present in Dallas, but they're not necessarily things that we deal with or that we see on a regular basis. It really just comes from, kids who just don't have access to certain things and resources yeah. for certain things. And so the consequences of those manifest itself differently than something like teen pregnancy or gang violence. And so it's hard to really pinpoint, you it's know, what subtle. we're looking at. Yeah, it, it is, it's certainly more subtle. And
1: Correct me if I'm wrong though, you guys are structured very similarly to us in the sense that like your program by design is sort of built to eliminate those poverty-based barriers, right? In terms of providing kids with equipment, not Waiving the fee if you need if they need to, things like that, right?
0: Yeah, certainly. A kid can come in our program completely free. The challenges might be mom and dad having to drive or getting their own cleats somehow. But for the most part, we try to provide as much support as we can. And yeah, we waive most of our kids are scholarship. We provide all the equipment. We're very fortunate to have a pretty, pretty solid inventory of equipment. so yeah. equipment's not a in, not in need. Not a challenge. So yeah, that's been good. So we definitely alleviate a lot of the barriers of entry for lacrosse, which I think the challenge in getting, you know, some of those kids into our system, though, is the proximity is the transportation. Sometimes it's also cultural, where there is a cultural barrier of, you know, we don't I don't play the sports this sport is not prevalent in my neighborhood. So why, why bother? There's yeah. not scholarship money. There's not a pro career in it. That's maybe, maybe some families are looking at versus, you know, in comparison to other sports. Yeah. So we have some cultural barriers that we deal with. Mm-hmm. I imagine certainly you guys have the same, same oh, issues that.
1: Yeah. And we, we've struggled and you know, as we've struggled with recruitment, recruitment and retention, actually, which are it's sort of like we're burning both ends of the rope, rope at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I think recruitment wise, it's been a lot of the same issues in terms of, the community and families not being familiar with the sport. Soccer is obviously the the default winner in most of Austin. So that's the community sport. That's the sport that dads can play and children can, can play. It's the sport that you'll drive by on a Saturday morning and see the fields occupied with. So that then also just not understanding the cost behind it long term, um, not understanding like where, where they can go, right? It's not a UIL sport. It's not, yeah. uh, like you said, there's not money necessarily in it. Even if they go pro, so so why bother? And also, I think honestly, the UIL thing is probably bigger than we think uh, or we realize on a day-to-day basis. Just because, like with UIL sports, even if there's if the child's not planning on going pro, at least the school is behind it, right? So it counts right. for the school in some way, which again goes back to this whole school-based community-based thing. But
0: and that's something that we've struggled with. There's a lot. There there are people pushing for sanctioning of the sport in Texas via UIL. It's not something that we get into a lot. It's sort of a little bit outside of our realm because our our mission is so different. But I understand that the gravitas of being a UL sport is different than being a club sport like lacrosse is in the state of Texas. And I don't know how you all function between sort of the the fun side of sports and the competitive side. How do do you work that balance out? That's been a challenge for us.
1: Yeah, it's been a challenge for us too. I think we're still figuring it out. Like this has been our, our, I feel like our first real season in terms of having a large enough team where we have some people that are multi-sport sport athletes and then some kids who, yeah, this is going to be their only sport if they even continue. And we're trying to keep them engaged in that way. But I think we, at the end of the day, it's, it's a mix, right? It's a balance. So mm-hmm. we are focusing a lot on skill development and that way students can measure their, their progress and success over with themselves. So, hey, you couldn't pass yesterday, but you can catch now today or your ground balls are looking much better today than they did last week. So that type of positive feedback, I think, is keeping the focus on improvement um, and growth. And then the fun is just coming through, through games and through the culture that we're trying to build on the team.
0: One of the things I wanted to ask you, and this kind of goes back to how you got involved with New Horizons. So your, your background now is in nonprofit a fundraising aspect. What are your thoughts on how does COVID change the nonprofit realm? What are, we seeing, what are we seeing from a funding standpoint, organizational standpoint, as we make it through this pandemic and and on the other side?
1: Yeah. So I'm honestly really worried for nonprofits and just the nonprofit scene in general, especially here in Austin. I don't know if, you, if we've talked about this, but Austin has more nonprofits per capita than any other city in the country.
0: I did not know that actually.
1: Yeah, like 8,000 plus for our population of like a million, which is ridiculous. I, I, could, I could get, get down into that. <laughs> my, my whole thought process about that and why that's the case. But I, I'm worried for nonprofits because I don't know if the philanthropic giving that foundations, family foundations, even the larger foundations are going to be upping is going to meet the need. I also think it's a great chance and it's gonna force a lot of nonprofits to stop being complacent in terms of the work that they're doing. As you know, there's not like there's nonprofits for everything, right? There's not just yeah. nonprofits for giving people food and clothing and shelter. There's nonprofits that are then in charge of other nonprofits, and they're just right. a very complex world. I think the the nonprofits that are, that are going to be hurting the most are going to be the small local community-based nonprofits where there's only a couple staff members, if that. Um, they have a budget of less than a hundred thousand dollars, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars, and they don't have the the People in their back pocket who they can call up and get mm-hmm. right a ten thousand dollars check to pay payroll for for the next two months. So I'm worried about them. I also wonder if some nonprofits are simply just going to pause their programming given COVID. Or I'm I'm interested to see how many nonprofits pivot and how many just decide, hey, this is like not our time, and we're going we're just going to take a hiatus.
0: Right.
1: Um, I'm wondering if there's going to be some consolidation or partnership really in the sphere to really. Make sure that we're addressing basic needs, and then figure out after basic needs what needs what needs to exist, what what was truly functioning well and adding value b- before all of this, and what is going to continue to add value after this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're definitely going to see that in Dallas as well. Yeah. You know, of the nonprofits that are you know fulfilling, you know, basic needs. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that obviously need the funding right now and they need the resources. What happens after this, yeah, is is definitely kind of in the air and a lot of nonprofits like us, you know, we're just not really sure. We're very fortunate to have, you know, generous donors and our supporters, but yeah, you know, our, our runway, like a lot of nonprofits is always in question. You know, we've always been a little hand to mouth like you said earlier, like it'll give up op- nonprofits like us an opportunity to really evaluate, you know, what needs that we're filling. Mm-hmm. And if we need to look for, be creative and looking for alternatives like partnering with organizations, some sort of collaboration, merging, whatever it may be. You know, after 2008 and and the depression or recession in 2008, you kind of saw a little bit of that consolidation. You saw the reevaluation of giving and reevaluation of how program needs are met. And so there was some creativity in that. A friend of mine in Houston ran into a woman. She was an attorney by trade, pretty high up in like the giving circles. But basically after 2008 and with money tightening up, when you send us your... um, grant application i'm going to come through and if i say you you're done you're done like i'm going to give you unsolicited advice of you don't need to exist because i've looked at 10 other nonprofits just like you yeah you're just duplicating what's you know what's already being done in this neighborhood and they have they're doing it better with better metrics better funding i think some nonprofits did take it uh, to heart and say you know we really do need to look at what's best for The challenges that we're trying to meet. And sometimes that's not existing, right? Or that's, you know, kind of putting our egos aside.
1: I completely agree. I, especially with Austin and like the overabundance of nonprofits here, there's bound to be duplication or bound to be opportunities for a partnership and merging merging and whatnot. And I just don't understand. I I mean, I I think it just comes down to ego, if I'm being honest. Um, I totally agree. Like I want, maybe it's, it's Austin with the tech scene, like people wanting to have a founder, like the founder complex or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, like, I want to build this from scratch. It's my thing. Like yep. I have control, I have the power, but that's not what a nonprofit is, right? Like th- that's not the point of a nonprofit. The point of a nonprofit is to serve others and to like yep. not to, to not <laughs> profit from it um, personally. So I just, I've never understood the redundancy and in, in a lot of missions.
0: The nonprofit realm is going to change. And I think hopefully for the better. And I think, you know, you see the people talk about like, we can't go back to normal, right? There are are too many, like you said earlier, inequities that need to be addressed in the right way when we get out of this. And I think for the nonprofit industry, we've got to find a way to continue to do things at a high level, efficiently, Mm -hmm. and with the people that we serve, their needs in mind. What's some of the silver lining or what are some of the things that you all are looking forward to post-COVID?
1: Um, I think really moving like that transition from school-based to community-based, we were going to do a lot of foundational work for that this summer, but that seems like it's not going to happen just because I don't even know if schools are going to be open in the fall, honestly. Yeah. So I don't think this is the right time to start having those conversations um, or engaging people in the city to brainstorm spaces and lighting and transportation and all those different pieces that need to pull together. I think just... Getting back on the field and having normal practices (laughs) will feel like such a big win because we we've done it for this entire year now at this point since like November I guess is when we did fall ball, but it doesn't feel routinized yet, right? So it's consistent for the kids or for us because we've gotten new coaches this year, etc. So I think just having if we can get out there in the fall at all, like a fall like a small fall ball program, and then have a full spring season, I think that will be a huge win for us.
0: Yeah are you finding ways to stay engaged with your kids right now?
1: Yeah. So, so we have an after school program called ACE at Martin. So they, our PE coach basically tapped us to do like morning practices once a week. So we just had our first one this past week. Um, So Johnny, who you, or you didn't mean Johnny, he wasn't there, right? I don't believe so. Okay. So Johnny Morrow, who's the head coach for our boys team, he led it. Um, I didn't get to, to be on the call, unfortunately, but Apparently, they just like they talked through life and then they did a couple drill type things. Some kids, though, like were in their homes, like in a corner, like hold up, versus some kids were outside, right? So, yeah, some inconsistencies there as well. I also don't know how many of our kids actually have internet, how many of our kids actually have devices. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to get that information at this point because they have to have a device for, in order for us to communicate with them, right? So, there's just a lot of issues there to work out. But I'm glad that we, if we're able to get some of them together to at least say hi for a little bit. What about you?
0: Yeah, kind of the same thing. We've reached out obviously virtually for a lot of our kids. We kind of on the spot made up what we call bridge prep, which is just a a fancy name for here's like a a workout routine. Here's some wall ball drills, but we try to kind of keep it in some structure so that the kids have some sense of normalcy or some continuity within bridge. And so every week I'll put out a wall routine for the different teams, a workout routine, some game film, or just like some fun YouTube videos, right? Like a mini doc about a girls team or a boys team, highlight reels, things like that. We haven't quite gotten to this space, but this has kind of been a nice intro, but we put out some of the headspace videos about mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. And then we do weekly Zoom calls. So we do it twice a week for high school kids and then we do it. we've been doing one i think every team's every youth team has had at least one we did a goalie cl- a virtual goalie clinic which was pretty fun did um, not. that was that was really fun we had two of our goalie coaches do that we had I think we had like nine kids sh- show up for that which was wow. i was i was shocked but they enjoyed that and then over the next couple of weeks we we're working on getting some like alumni back uh, actually we've had some alumni drop in and then we've had some of the we're going to have some pro players come in to some of our zoom calls too so what? Th- yeah so that's been fun yeah so we've got trevor baptiste in like a week and a half and then taylor thornton her and i have been texting back and forth about getting her to to do a zoom call with our high school kids or middle school girls um, How do you do them? so pll has a the pll assist program and we're a member sort of a benefactor okay. or a beneficiary rather of the pll assist program yeah i have a weekly standing call with kyle harrison the college kid in me is just like this is the greatest thing. Like I have a standing call with the goat. Oh my um, god! Yeah, and he's he's a great guy. He's really nice, and he, you know he wants to help us out as much as he as much as they can, the PLL can. Taylor's a Dallas native. She played at Day before going out to Northwestern, and just obviously having a dominant career in, in college and in the pros. Mm-hmm. She's come back to Dallas a couple times, and we've been able to connect with her. And she's done two clinics for us, one in the fall and one earlier the spring. So.
1: That's incredible! Um, You're doing yeah so the Zoom. Much.
0: It's well, and and part of it is well, I have to do something, right? Yeah, you know, I, yeah, I
1: know that kind of yeah. yeah. Uh, the other <laughs> the other
0: thing that we've been doing that's been kind of fun, you know, just dropping off equipment to kids, right? I dropped off a goal. I'm trying to get a rebounder to one of our high school girls. You know, just extra sticks for mom and dad, extra balls for the backyard. We're trying to do stick trick videos and things like that. Just little things that we can kind of keep the kids uh, against somewhat in routine with lacrosse or familiar yeah. with lacrosse still That's about it but yeah it, it's been tough and the zoom calls attendance are you know they're kind of dipping The the more and more we get into it my hope is that kids can continue having access to our calls when they can but you know at some point we've got to get out of this and get back to something get back to being on the field because virtual yeah. lacrosse is only can only go so far
1: <laughs> yeah are you what are what are your plans for summer academy or pivoting that
0: uh it's a good question right now i I just don't know i would like to i would like to host it i would like to host summer academy Mm -hmm. the challenge will be the safety aspect of putting 60 70 kids in dorms you know on a bus everything like that so right now it is it's in question we'll kind of reassess at the end of uh, or kind of closer to may luckily summer academy because we've done it for two years it has a template sure and so it should be easy, you know, to kind of pull off if we're, Hey, if everything looks safe and we can keep their well-being in mind. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish I had a, I wish I had a really for sure answer, but uh, unfortunately all of our summer programming is in question and we planned on doing more than we'd ever done before and things like that. So I'll, I'll keep you and, and Houston up to date on summer Academy because, you know, we wanted to just have, you know, have the biggest year yet. Yeah. And have you up there too, obviously.
1: Yeah. I really want so. to ask experience-
0: Myself. it's one of it's one of our marquee events without a doubt and yeah not having it, it just like hurts my soul yeah it is such a special event and we you know our high our middle school kids have already asked me coach like what's going on with summer academy are we gonna do it and mm-hmm. yeah I, I can't i don't know what to say i i don't have a, a timeline so
1: are you loaning but, kids equipment, or are you giving them equipment
0: we're just giving them equipment except for my goals. I, you know, I need the goals back, (laughs) but yeah, if, if kids need extra sticks, lacrosse balls, mesh, you know, we've got ladders and some sleds for the most part, we're just going to give it to them. You know, I I tell the kids all the time, like everything in the locker, it belongs to you guys. So, you know, if you want an extra head or stick or whatever it may be, or extra shoulder pads, it's all yours.
1: I love that. What about the rebounders? Are you getting one per kid or like?
0: Yeah, yeah, the rebounders are much more difficult. We've loaned out probably four or five. We're trying to collect as many as we can. So we've reached out to a handful of donors who have, you know, who have kids or have had a rebounder to see if they'd be willing to, you know, let us borrow it or or donate. But mm-hmm. because they're also under quarantine, their kids are using it. So they're a little harder to come by. I actually picked one up yesterday that needs a little repairing. So I'll do that this weekend but we may start to do some fundraising around some of those things. I have a waiting list of about five kids who want a rebounder or a goal. Um, and we just don't have them. So, but we've been able to loan out the the vast majority of stuff gets me out of the house. And I, you know, I, I run up to the porch, drop it off, run back, keep that social distancing in mind. Uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely tough for a lot of our kids, but I think for the most part they're just bored. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest thing we're coming away with is, you know, obviously a lot of families have challenges and there's certain needs that aren't being met, but in a lot of ways, Bridge, we're not, you know, we're not that first responder type organization, right? So if there's food access needs, our families are going to other resources. We're not necessarily that resource for them. we're just not in a position we're not going around handing out food and and masks and you know we're not a healthcare organization and things like that but we want to certainly be present and available to our kids when we need them or when they need us
1: yeah for sure
0: do you want to say anything to your kids who might be listening
1: (laughs) none of our kids are listening but oh
0: no okay yeah again podcasting for middle school kids is not
1: (laughs) not the preferred medium i'm trying to think if i have anything else to say but I mean, yeah, just really just letting people know up there that we exist down here. We're trying to be the Bridge of Austin. So if you want to come help us out with any of that, let us know.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate you, you doing this. I appreciate you, your time. This is really fun. I will Yeah, I really do appreciate
1: it. Of course, anytime.